Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies! We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yep. This week, The Thief Lord by Cornelia Funke. Sneak, 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 sneak. This episode was a listener request. Thank you so much, Nina, for requesting this wonderful book. Yeah. If any of you have any requests you'd like to make, you can shoot us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Do it. Before we get started, we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this one before or haven't revisited it in a while, take a lovely afternoon. Yeah. Make a cup of tea, mm-hmm. sit back, and escape to the magical canals of there, Venice. There's an audible version of this, so it's it shouldn't be hard to find an audiobook if you're like me, and if you prefer that to reading the book. Yeah, I did want to mention we've been trying to cover more readily available books during the pandemic because the libraries are all closed and the bookshops are too. Um, this one is on Kindle and also on Audible, and um, so you can grab a copy. If Man, you, I, f- I feel like we drop Audible. Start a free trial if you uh, if you don't have an account. Yeah, you can just do that. Just use a new email. Just use an email address and you can get a free book. And we do, you know, escapism is pretty much the thesis of this whole podcast, but this book did feel particularly mm-hmm. as if it were pulling me away from the very stressful present reality and taking me to a moonlit, lovely, warm, not for the whole book, but warm emotionally place. So check it out. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, I think it's because it takes place in our world and then has those like just very real feeling fantasy elements and that's why it feels so escapist which i really liked for sure Mm -hmm. so let's discuss how the publisher chose to package and promote this book we couldn't get our hands on a physical copy for the reasons i just mentioned but the uh, ebook that i read has a lovely cover there are only a few editions that i'm seeing that are english language as the book was originally published in german in two, the year 2000 as cornelia funke is a german author and the one that i read has a lovely blue toned drawing of the canals of venice yeah. with a mysterious figure sneaking over a bridge with the moon shining behind them yeah little starry sky it looks like the sun is starting to rise off in the distance i found it very compelling yeah and it also has a it has kind of a mature look to it for a children's Mm -hmm. book um, because the reading level for this book is a little younger than a lot of the books that we cover um i would say like third to fifth grade probably um but also quite skillful Definitely. I'm not diminishing the writing by yeah. any means, um, but it's very accessible for, yes. for young readers. Definitely. Um, and yeah, reading a book with this cover would probably make me feel kind of excited like I was reading a grown up book, <laughs> especially because the book is a little longer um, than you might expect for one aimed at this reading level. Yeah, um, yeah. But it has the lovely, convenient chapters that are each, you know, a few not too many pages. There's manageable like 50 size. chapters. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of Harry Potter oh, in that yeah. you would, you know, know even if you were feeling like you were uh, a little lost in the length of the book, you'd get to the next chapter and the little picture, the right. illustration at the beginning. Were and there like, pictures in the in this book? Yes. Oh. Yeah, for each chapter there is a, exactly like the Harry Potter books, there is a small illustration that's depicting the action that's oh, coming cool. up. I have to go um, through those. And they were great. Yeah, the illustrations, I don't know who they are by. Um, oh, it says by Cornelia Funke. Oh, what? That's so cool. Yeah. Funke. 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 I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Funke. We listened to the pronunciation so many times. Like 50 times. We're just really struggling okay. with it. Funke. Madeline, would you like to give us a quick plot summary? Yes, I would. Okay, this book takes place in Venice, Italy, where the streets are made of water and people have boats. More people have boats than in other cities because of the water. 
<laughs> sounds like a trailer for an action movie. <laughs> a really weird one. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, one that I would like to watch. Um, and uh, there are children. This book centers around a pack of kids who are around like 10 years old. One of them's much younger. Bo is five. Um, there's two brothers, Bo and Prosper. And they have run away from their crummy aunt and uncle who were going to adopt Bo, but not Prosper because he's old and not cute enough. Um, Their parents are dead. They run away to Venice and... uh, From Germany. From Germany and the... Hamburg. And the uh, book starts out with the aunt and uncle meeting with a detective. And you think the book is going to be about, like, the detective. He's going to be the main character asking him to find the kids, except then it cuts to the perspective of Bo and Prosper and the other kids that they've hooked up with. And now they're living in an abandoned theater with those kids. Uh, And then we spend a good amount of time with them. The detective is Victor Gertz and he um, does pretty quickly find the children. And then he starts to, uh, he feels bad because he can tell that the aunt and uncle are kind of garbage people um, or just straight up garbage people. And so he's kind of following the kids around trying to think like, what am I going to do? Where are they staying? Um, You find out that one of the children is called the Thief Lord and he wears a Plague Doctor mask, which is great. He's Uh, got a flair for drama. Yes. And so he brings... uh, expensive knickknacks to the kids and they sell them to this guy from a D&D game <laughs> who is like ready to buy uh, your wares. Yeah. <laughs> um, An unsavory character. Yeah, he's also quite unsavory. And uh, so they're living like that. Um, the theater is really, really cool. It is a haven for these most of them were street kids previously and now they're living together. They're still kind of street kids, but at least they have a family and a home. Um, and it, you find out that the thief Lord, uh, is actually the son of an aristocrat, like aristocracy, modern day in Venice. And that's where he's going when he disappears for a long time. And that's where he's stealing his knickknacks from. Uh, and he, Hates his dad. His dad seems pretty crummy, too. Um, Most adults are bad in this book, except for the detective and his friend. Um, They are asked by a conte to uh, steal a wooden wing from a woman's house. And the woman's name is... I can't remember. Ida. Any of the names. That's not great. Ida. Uh, So... the Conte tells them that they have to go steal this wooden wing from Ida, uh, or rather from her house. She's kind of a wealthy heiress, seems like. Um, and uh, they are like, okay, we'll go steal the wing because you said you're going to pay us a ton of money, a ton of lira. Um, they go and steal the wooden wing, but they get caught by Ida. And she's like, okay, let me tell you about the story behind this wing. This is part of a carousel. It's a magical carousel. If you ride on the carousel, you can. If you're big, you get small. If you're small, you get big. And In terms of, <laughs> wait, let's rephrase that. <laughs> if you're young, you can grow older, and if you're older, you can grow younger. Yep, yep. It's yep. not just like a size distortion <laughs> situation. No, okay, it's not like the mushrooms in Alice's Adventures or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and the kids are like, "Whoa!" So they take the wing, and Ida is like, "Wait, I want in on this though." I would really like to see the rest of the carousel if the Conte knows where it is because it was stolen. Somehow someone stole a carousel. And she's not actually a wealthy heiress. She was an orphan. She lived at the orphanage that has the picture of the carousel up above the front door. So she has this long standing personal connection to it. And Why she does found- she have all this money now? She's a quite. she's an accomplished photographer. Okay, so the she made you all miss the money. all those plot points. No, I didn't. I just like I. She just seems so wealthy, and it, photographers aren't typically like. She says at one point, "I have more money than I can spend from right. my photographs." Okay, yeah. Okay, so she's she's just like, self-made. She's, she was an orphan. Okay, 
That makes more sense. And they also take pains to say like her house is small. They're surprised that it's not a grander house when they're sent to steal the wing. She's okay. like a yeah, no, that's true. middle class person. I guess I just... She's did, not an aristocrat. I assumed that she was wealthier because she just like takes all these kids in. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she wants to do anything else. Ida then kind of joins their group, and the detective is also along for the ride by now. He was actually kidnapped earlier by the children and held prisoner in their theater, um, and he has a... Along with one of his tortoises. Along with one of his tortoises, and then the kids uh, broke into his office to go feed his other tortoise, um, and uh, they intercepted a message from the aunt, uh, who is searching for Bo. Uh, she's still around, and uh, they have a very... Um, unpleasant conversation with her but they do tell her the detective thinks they're not in the city anymore and the aunt is like um so that's kind of percolating uh they go they go with ida they give the conte the wing and then they hear they try to follow them but they hear gunshots and they run away but they see that they go to this specific secret island out in the lagoon they they see where they go um and so then, then they find out that the thief lord is the son of a wealthy aristocrat. Um, actually, it was before that. Yeah. yeah, it was before they got the wing, but they mm-hmm. still end up all there together. Um, and then there's this period of not really knowing what's going to happen. Um, Bo gets kidnapped by the aunt kind of um, well, she finds him because she puts posters up all over the city, even though the detective tries to dissuade her, saying, like, they're not in Venice anymore. Um, and Hornet, who is one of the kids, she's a girl, ends up at the orphanage. Um, but there's there's a lot of, like, scattering and slowly, like, tying them all back together. Ida goes to the orphanage and... Yeah, it's very capery. There are a lot of different yeah, plot lines. Yeah. Through. Ida gets Hornet. She brings her to her house. Like, the kids are slowly ending up at Ida's house. Um, and the aunt decides that, well, this, this happens a bit later, but I'm trying to do this as linearly as possible. The aunt decides she doesn't want Bo anymore because he is a child, um, and acting like a child and doesn't want to be around her because she obviously just wants him to be like a toy, um, like a small dog that you can put in your purse. Um, so he ends up at Ida's as well because the detective collects him from the theater and brings her brings him back and uh, they decide to go uh, or the thief lord and prosper are together and they decide to go to this carousel they're like we think we know where it is because we followed them and we heard like scary things happening so let's go check it out and let's both become older let we're small let's get big because and, go ahead because both of them are having really crummy lives right. <laughs> as children. At, at that point, Prosper thinks that Bo is lost to his aunt. Mm-hmm. He yeah. doesn't know that he has been brought back. Um, Scipio doesn't know what he's going to do in terms of trying to like build some good life for himself because he's so unhappy at home. Yeah, yeah. And he's lost his gang. Right. Um, so they go, they meet the Conte and the Contest, who are now children. And that's the first time that you're like, oh, Oh, it's real. (laughs) It's real. Yeah, it takes so long for the fantasy elements to actually show up. But it does feel very fantastical because you have this, like, gang of kids living together, like, the way that they want to live in an abandoned theater. And And they're talking about the winged lions and the angels Mm -hmm. and the demons and the horses, just all this kind of mythical magic that has yeah. suffused the city. Scipio, mm-hmm. the thief lord, really wants to ride on the carousel. So they put him on. He rides on it. And he gets big. He's taller than his dad. And he's uh, like 20s, eight, I don't know how old he is. Yeah, People keep mistaking him for his dad, which leads me to believe that he is older. A little too old. Yeah. Um, And then he gets off and Prosper didn't get on with him because he was too spooked. But then 
uh, ye old wares purchaser and seller, Barbarossa, shows up crashing through the underbrush and is like just intent on destroying everything for his own gain. So they trick him onto the carousel and then they spin it a bunch of times and he ends up like a small child, uh, like Bo, so Mm -hmm. like five or six years old. Um, so he's just kind of around being like a sputtering <laughs> baby. Um, and when Barbarossa goes on the carousel, he breaks it. So now it's impossible for the thief lord to go back to being a child again. Um, so they leave. They go to Ida's. They kind of talk more about it. Um, Scipio is trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life. So he ghosts and kind of disappears for a while. Um, Just goes and stays in a hotel for a bit. Yeah, because he has some money, uh, even though the money that the Conte gave them for the carousel was kind of fake. Um, And Scipio, by the end of it, at the very end, Ida has adopted both Bo and Prosper and Hornet. Um, the other kids have kind of scattered because they don't want a normie life. Well, they didn't scatter. They went to live together in the Castello. Yes. Um, which is, it sounds like kind of a neighborhood that has a lot of abandoned houses in mm-hmm. it. So they want to continue to live life on their own terms and not live a typical mm-hmm. ch- child's life. Yes. The, so Mosca and Riccio don't stay at Ida's. They go to live life on their own terms. Um, and uh, Scipio decides that he is going to become the the uh, apprentice or like new detective um, with Victor. And uh, so that actually works out pretty well. He's still getting mistaken for his dad a lot everywhere, which seems don't know like what it was going to do about his face. Like yeah. he takes on a false name, but he looks exactly right. like him. Yeah. And he sends his dad a letter that just says like, I'm safe. I'm traveling. Yeah. I'll come back in 10 years. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then he'll, he won't look so wrong i guess he can make use of victor's disguises yes yeah that's very true um and uh, and barbarossa barbarossa ends up with the aunt and the uncle um and is a model child like they so they barbarossa ends up with the aunt and the uncle aunt esther uh and it goes well until there's a little epilogue sort of and it says that years later she found him like stealing all of her stuff because he's a greedy jerk. Um, so she sends him up to boarding school uh, where he becomes a terror and he calls himself the thief lord. Yeah, so the title lives on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a freewheeling summary, but the plot goes a lot of places in this book. It does. Yeah. There are a lot of different little stories. And since everyone's physically they keep being in different places but it's hard for them to communicate with each other yeah um yeah it's tough to keep up and it does take place in like modern times but not smartphone modern it actually is because victor says at one point this is how they explain that people aren't using cell phones (laughs) i mean the children don't have phones because they're children um but victor says like his darn uh cell phone battery was dead as always it wasn't i'm sorry it wasn't smartphone times but it was cell phone times it was sure published in 2000 okay so like razor phones were yeah. the almost yeah actually fanciest. even the predating that a little bit okay so like flip phones predating that like brick bricks phones. <laughs> nokia bricks brick phones yeah. okay so then it yeah it makes Blackberries, a lot of <laughs> that kind of vibe it makes a lot of sense that the kids wouldn't have cell phones because mm-hmm. those were like only used by yeah and a lot of adults didn't have right. cell phones at mm-hmm. that time the yeah because the old year of 2000 i was 13 you were 10 okay because i feel like now if they were street kids like they would all have smartphones mm-hmm. like maybe not a telephone plan but mm-hmm. they would have phones mm-hmm. um so we it, it's I, I just always like to see when something is set a piece of fiction in modern times yeah how they deal with the cell phone problem right because they solve so many of the problems that are really important to yeah. books narrative yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you can't miss each other if you all have tiny computers that can call anywhere in your pocket at all times yeah it's like how in modern horror movies they have to like do Put away with the remote cell phones or pretty like, much immediately yeah 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 because otherwise it just doesn't make sense because you just call 911 <laughs> that's right help me yeah <laughs> so let's 
discuss all the new impressions, um, which is all going to be new impressions yeah, for both of us. Because this was a first time recommendation. Yeah, I haven't read this book before, although it's definitely one whose path I have crossed. Um, I think I was probably just a little bit too old by the time the English version was published in okay. the US. Yeah, which was in 2002. Um, and the ebook that I read has a very cute story at the end that says that there was a bilingual young book lover living in England named Clara, and she read The Thief Lord in German and was like, why isn't this available in English? It's such a good story. <laughs> um and she wrote a letter addressed to the editor who published Harry Potter and sent it to the publisher um, so, so of, of the Chicken House, which is the British company that published The Thief Lord. The English, Chicken which House. Is, it sounds like it is that. an imprint of Scholastic, a division of Scholastic. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they published it. Um, cool. And since then have gone on to publish other novels by Cornelia Funke. I should write more letters to publishers. Um, so I enjoyed that. Thank you, Clara. Yeah. No, it's that's cute. Um, yeah. So what a fun book. Yeah. I, mean, I you know, first thing I thought was a romp. Yes. We, like we say brand. that a lot, but it is. <laughs> so we like to brand the kids fun just books. Running around in Venice, getting up to all sorts of tricks. It is as we mentioned so bewitching mm. because it really allows young readers, I think, to live out a lot of fun dreams yeah. like being on your own and running through the streets of Venice and living in an old movie theater and, you know, eating cakes whenever, <laughs> whenever mm -hmm. you can afford them. But then there's also the reality of being a homeless child that yeah. creeps in around the edges yeah, and sure. ultimately it takes control of the children's narratives. Yeah. Um, like Hornet is deposited in the orphanage. Mm -hmm. Bo is sent to be with his aunt and uncle. Yeah. Um, the others are, you know, on an ongoing basis struggling to figure out like what kind of life can I have with my limited resources? Yeah, like what am I going to do? Yeah. And I think that the central conflict of Scipio lying and essentially choosing to live out a fantasy of being a homeless child mm -hmm. um, was handled better than I uh, thought it might be right because essentially because that's really complicated like there's a lot of yeah, class issues right it's a it's a class difference and that's why they're so angry at him and he's playing homelessness like that's right. really messed up yeah. um mm -hmm. we don't ever learn details about the former lives of mosca riccio or hornet but it sounds like um, they were bad it sounds like they were yeah not good riccio doesn't have parents um and then hornet and mosca both we get something along the lines of like their family never noticed that they left or for Hornet in her case, that it was just a very, very bad situation yeah. um, to the point that she doesn't even want to tell her real name so that no one can find her. Right. Um, as opposed to Scipio, who is the son of one of the wealthiest figures in the Venice scene. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows who he is. Dottor Massimo. I'm sorry, we don't speak any Italian and we don't know anything about how to pronounce Italian words. And of course, Scipio has his problems too, but there are problems with a lot of money and a it's big a, yeah. house behind them. There's a lot of privilege differences. Yeah. So incredibly different. And I think the thing that like bothered me the most through the book is that Riccio and Mosca do remain homeless at the end. Yeah. Um, but that's also complicated because they're not interested in suddenly pretending to have lived a normal childhood right. and, you know, just stepping into that path of like, yeah. okay, going to school in the spring right. and brush my hair, brush my teeth, it eating is, my spinach. Yeah, but it it's, it is sad and it's complicated because it's like, there's that question of like, how much agency do kids get? You know, because totally. like, kids make bad decisions because their prefrontal cortexes are not fully developed. But 
And these kids have been primarily concerned with their survival throughout their childhood. Mm -hmm. But at what point can you like make a decision for a child saying like, well, you don't know what's best. I know what's best. And I think that the book really makes you question that because like they, yeah, they don't want to go to school or brush their hair or whatever. And it's like, well, mightn't that lead to a better life ultimately than like not getting any formal education and doing this. But like, you know, it's, it's tough. I think it's really interesting that the book makes you grapple with that, and I appreciate that. For sure, that. yeah. And I mean, the, the piece that I struggled with the most and that really made me the saddest at the end of the book is that Riccio and Mosca end up actually back where they were before the thief lord met them, yeah. before Scipio met them, because they're mm-hmm. back in that same neighborhood with yeah. the abandoned houses. Um and they talk about how like that was not as good as yeah, what they how had. Yeah, it was with cold Scipio. and just dangerous. Um, yeah, but they do have a built-in family and additional resources now. Like, right, Ida is always going to be there for them. Victor will always be there for now them. Now they have a Scipio as an adult now, and yeah. will be able to help them. So it it is a bit different, but um, yeah, surprisingly complex questions and issues of class. <laughs> So, yeah, that was fascinating. No, which I really appreciate. And that's that's kind of maybe why I ignored the exposition when it came to Ida's money, Mm -hmm. because it was the only thing that didn't feel realistic to me about money, because I was like, well, you know, because the people that I know are who are photographers are like struggling artists. Right. You know. Yeah. But that I'm also much younger than Ida is. So. And I think she's meant in the narrative to serve as an example of, hey, she lived in that orphanage that these kids came from. Okay. And, and she look where has she's been at. able to make a comfortable life for herself. Sure. Um, so she's kind of serving as a figure to, like, I guess, motivate them in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really sure because we don't learn that much about her childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty uh, quick. And the the class difference is what made the Conte and the Contests or the fake Mm -hmm. Conte and Contests want to go back to being children anyways. And I also... So is that yeah? That so that's another hugely another hugely complicated piece yeah. of people coming from different stations, right? In life. Um, so is that property just abandoned, and that's why they're able to just stay out there because yeah. it's not theirs? So they were. We didn't mention this in the summary, but they were servants. Yeah. Who? I mean, they almost seem like child slaves because they had been orphans it sounds like and they were sent to work at that yeah, like grand like family's estate servants. when they were young yeah um, indentured servants yeah it doesn't it doesn't really seem like they had much of an option other than working as children yeah. so they took care of the um, aristocrats and their children who mm-hmm. lived on the estate on that island yeah. um and they said that they you know their childhood was stolen from them so that's why they want to become young again mm-hmm. um because they they grew older then they got other jobs worked and worked and now they right. they, they never got old. to be kids. that was their lives but the thing is an important part of being and prosper and Bo are also complicated too yeah because it, they are coming from a position where they could have means mm-hmm. their aunt and uncle are mm-hmm. rich they keep saying yeah and um, he doesn't want to go to the boarding school that they'd send him to he wants to be with Bo. right exactly and yeah. it's not that prosper would be sent to an orphanage they would send him away to school right. but he would still be taken care of like mm-hmm. for Bo and prosper in a way i also kept coming back to like they're sort of play acting homelessness a little bit too yeah but there is also the very real problem of that them they being be separated, separated. Yeah. yeah of their family that they know being torn apart and also entering into what is definitely going to be an emotionally abusive situation. Mm-hmm. So it's it's different from Scipio's in a lot of ways because their needs wouldn't be met in the same way. It's it's definitely really a situation of grass is always greener, like yeah. playing out over and over again in this book, which was very interesting because the ones that have the things that other ones want aren't happy. Right. Yeah. And then there's that central piece too of youth versus age and wisdom right which we're always coming back to and i so at first i was wondering reading it like did we mess up and are we not reading a fantasy (laughs) (laughs) Um, because i was i wasn't totally sure and because it does enter so late when you see that the magic is real um well like i said pretty early on it feels very fantastical so that's what i i figured like if there's no magic then like that's the fantasy element of like these kids 
totally. out here in the world, you know, living like adults are trying to. Yeah. Initially, I was thinking of um, the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. Is that mm. the name by E.L. Konigsberg? Mm. Um, which was a book that I loved very much when I was little. Um, it's about two kids that uh, run away and go to live in... I can't remember which museum, but a museum in oh, New York City. Okay. Um, I can't remember right now. Uh, the museum. There, There's so like much natural history museum about running away and going to live in the museum. But like there's, they turn off the lights at night guys. And there's like security guards. Like it wouldn't work. I mean, as someone who did get to sleep overnight in the Shedd Aquarium in on Chicago. On a school trip. <laughs> on a school trip. It was still really cool. Yeah, I never um, got to do that. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> because 9-11 happened. Then they stopped letting us do stuff like that. Okay. Well, okay. So we? it's, it's about exploring childhood trauma. Yes. And that, okay. So back to the piece about if you could choose to be an adult or if you could choose to be a child, like Mm -hmm. if you could revert or you could shoot forward, would you do it? I would not choose to be a child again because for me, the lack of agency is terrifying. And that is what Ida says at the end Mm -hmm. when they're talking about, would you be a child again? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, for her, especially when, if you grew up uh, in an orphanage or in the, yeah, in the system, in whatever capacity yeah. you have even less agency and fewer resources right. and you don't have anywhere near the same opportunities that it, other kids do. That's the thing is like, and the book kind of makes a point, like it's not about your age. It's about your class. Like, I know. That's going to determine how nice your life is. And that's is. what I keep thinking about. Scipio became older because he would be okay. Like, he has all of this wealth behind him. And he the, has, the upbringing. Like, he the has know-how. the upbringing. He has the, yeah, the, the bearing, education. the language, the yeah. education. Mm-hmm. Like, he can do that. If the other kids have become grown ups, in a lot of ways, they could be worse off than they are now. Right. Because then they're no longer, like, it's, it's how the hedgehog, like, tricks someone into giving him sweets like Richo, yeah you can't do that as an adult like that only works when you're a little kid <laughs> totally and then uh, the uh, you know the police and the other people in the city are going to look at them differently right and then it's not a risk of being sent to the orphanage then it's the risk of going to jail right going because to prison. you're seen as dangerous rather exactly. than just like a you know yeah. cute nuisance yeah so i thought about that a lot and what i was going to say is that was the first um, the moment that I knew that the magic would be real mm. was when Victor started ruminating a lot on like how he's so old and he just wishes he could be young again. Mm. Like he's out in the rainy streets on his detective missions mm-hmm. and like his body can't hold up anymore. And I was like, okay, so everyone's going to have this own personal journey about accepting where they are in their growth or they're going to change it yeah <laughs> through magic through a magical carousel <laughs> yeah yeah and it is like Scipio you you do get the feeling that he wouldn't necessarily have stayed that way that he probably would have undone it mm-hmm. but then the carousel breaks so he's stuck I know and Scipio is a tragic figure in a lot of ways yes none of them talk at all about the fact that you're gaining or losing years of your life I know. and that really like I've that must have been a conscious choice yeah because like I guess and she I think just didn't want it to be about that right and I think that's kind of what he's grappling with a bit when he does just disappear by himself for a while mm-hmm. before he you know comes to Victor and feels like he has more of a an idea for how to move forward. I think he is just feeling a bit lost. And that's when he says to Victor, like what do adults do all day? And Victor (laughs) says like work, sleep, drink coffee. And he's like, read the paper. Nothing, nothing much. Sophia's like, Oh shoot. Yeah. (laughs) It's not what I was hoping. Right. There's not something magical, but his main thing was getting out from under the thumb of his tyrannical father. Right. Who was a jerk just because Scipio's rich doesn't mean like his dad wasn't. No, like I said, he had real problems at home too. Mm -hmm. And his father clearly treated him as an object rather than as a person. And Mm -hmm. it's very sad to have Scipio coming to him saying my cat is sick and his dad being like, how dare you interrupt me? (laughs) It will die and we'll get you another one. And like his dad was going to drown the kittens. That's why he gave them to Bo. Right. Um, And yeah, there's a really strong theme in this book of like the bad 
people are bad to animals. Yes, I know. And like that's, you know, a very strong undercurrent (laughs) of like if someone's going to treat like animals bad, then they are evil. No, let's, yeah, the animals are like the moral compass (laughs) of the book. So let's segue into... like animals animals in this book (laughs) for those who haven't been with us for long we purposely mumble that (laughs) title no don't don't help them grace just losing our minds you have to go Um, back and listen to the backlog from the start i mean victor was humanized so quickly like there was a risk of him seeming like a you know cop sort of character yeah Um, yeah i thought he was gonna be a narc at first but he was really nice and as soon as it started talking about his tortoises i was like oh okay exactly (laughs) the moment the tortoises show up you're like oh he has okay yeah he's got two tortoises he speaks to them lovingly he has like his own mental ideas about their relationship with one another he loves his disguises he's like so quirky and sweet and he thoroughly dislikes Bo and Prosper's aunt and uncle from the moment he meets them and sees right away that they are treating the boys as property rather than human Mm -hmm. beings like they're not concerned about their welfare they're just concerned about getting them in their grip yeah it had a very um yeah they remind me of the Dursleys a lot Uh, I did think of Harry Potter a lot while reading this no yeah that's a good point um yeah, and the tortoises throughout, like, I thought that they were going to play a more important role. No, just around. <laughs> they're just, like, around. It was just like, oh, got to go take care of the tortoises. Yeah. And I guess it did serve to get people back to Victor's so that they would hear the messages on his answering machine or answer the phone, which yeah, helped move that the was, aunt and uncle piece of the plot forward. That was the plot point, but it's still, like, they were just kind of, like, you know, hanging out. I just love that Victor is on the way to... No, leaving the vet with his tortoise. And then he's like, okay, I've got to go try to find this theater because now I have an idea of where the kids are. He takes his tortoise tortoise with him. And the kids are just like, why do you have this? Why did you bring this? (laughs) And I love the mental image of the tortoise just crawling around in the bathroom where he's being imprisoned. (laughs) And then when Prosper goes after the tortoise, he's like, there's nothing over there. What are you doing over there? I was like, that's exactly how I talk to my cats all of the time. One of them, literally, my friend is just, what are you doing? what are you doing because he's so intent on nothing yeah like my cat likes to yowl while staring really intently at the wall so i say that to her all the time like fairy what's doing there's nothing there never know um we also have barbarossa poisoning the The dogs dogs with meat and they were okay because they had ipecac that they fed to the dogs did your audiobook have like a explanation of what ipecac was no i know what ipecac is no my book was so weird it said give them ipecac and then in brackets it said a medication like a medicine used to induce vomiting but it was like an aside for like kids who might not know what ipecac is isn't that weird i know that is very interesting yeah i've never seen that before they didn't say that in the audiobook Interesting. I knew it. I know it from Oregon Trail. Oh, okay. That's probably where I originally learned it too, because we looked it up because we were like, what the heck is Ipecac? Yeah. Um, But I have a really serious mushroom intolerance. So if I, I don't, it hasn't happened in a long time because now I know, but there's mushrooms on a lot of stuff and it just gives me horrible pain. So a couple of times, like in the throes of those like really nasty stomach cramps, I would look up on the internet. Ipecac and be like, why don't I have any of this so that I could try to to purge the mushrooms? It's not that you ever got Ipecac, you just no. researched no, it. I was I was afraid <laughs> of making things worse. No. I didn't actually want to try that. Yeah, for sure. I feel like if you're at that point, you should go to the hospital and get your stomach mm-hmm. pumped instead of trying to use Ipecac. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're not condoning yeah. home uh, anti. But it, it worked for these dogs in this book. But take your dog to the vet if they eat something weird. Um, yeah, and I just fall for those dogs. Like they go so quickly from being these brutal beasts who right. are gonna rip Scipio and Prosper to shreds to mm-hmm. like poison. Yeah. <laughs> Just like no pups. <laughs> they're guard dogs, you yeah. know, they're doing their best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we also have Bo's kittens who are, you know, nameless and just they're kind just, of floating around. Yeah, they're, the somehow the this five-year-old's managing to take care of them. And yeah, I think that's why we don't 
get any real like plot points with any of the animals other than the dogs I would say with the poison um because they mm-hmm. are meant to be there to show us like this person is good because they right. take care of animals this yeah. person is bad because they hate them right yeah I think so too and I <laughs> it, that's very commonly used in fantasy books mm-hmm. too like if you look at um the Immortals series with Dane like Dane is good she is basically a goddess and yeah. she can talk to animals yeah but she cares about them very much. I love Dane so much. Okay. I know. Tamara Pierce. <laughs> Talking about Tamara Pierce. Again. Many Tamara Pierce episodes yeah. if you would check like them to out. Check those out. Um, the only the kind of funny thing about this book, um, so I thought the pacing was a little interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was it really sprung stuff on you. That's why I had trouble with the summary, because it was like, wait, has this happened yet? Yeah. Or? And in some ways it was reminiscent to me of like the way uh, your brain works when you're younger too. Mm. Like some things you kind of have to spin out to understand and others feel like they happen in a flash. Um, And I thought it was really uh, an interesting choice that the, like we've been talking about, the magical elements don't come in until like the last bit of the book. I, I don't know how far in exactly but it was uh, quite a ways in yeah quite quite a ways through like more than three quarters of the way through the book um is when we actually see the magic carousel and learn that it works yeah um and that was interesting yeah and the carousel is really kind of quick like there's not a lot of examination of that process like the the child or adult just gets like flung off (laughs) and there's no like seeing them grow or like seeing them become smaller or like any investigation into why the carousel does that or like any anything more about that magic like it stays very very surface level it almost reminds me of like greek mythology or something where Mm. things just like happen yeah like this has happened moving on (laughs) yeah yeah totally (laughs) i i get that um yeah and it's just very the carousel is very accepted by everyone yeah there was no Um, like disbelief (laughs) of like no that's not real and it's so i'm kind of like maybe Scipio should just go tell his dad what happened and he'd be like oh okay yeah i had that moment (laughs) i was like well it is the carousel that everyone knows about right so they're not gonna question you like it happened you got old (laughs) Right. <laughs> um, but then, like, we go from the really quick carousel scenes. Like, even I, I was so surprised that that uh, Cornelia Funke <laughs> wrote it so that uh, Scipio is transforming in this moment that even has to be fast within the narrative because the Conte hears his sister yelling right. from in the house and it's is like, "Oh, is we have to go. Up. We have to go help check on her." But okay, just do this really fast yeah. first. And I was like, this is like the defining moment of the book. And you're just like, hurry up, hurry and up. It was like, get on the carousel. Like, we got other Come stuff on. to tend to. <laughs> yeah. And I get that that was necessary for the Barbarossa thing, but And it helped to like create tension. Totally. And I I, I get that like Barbarossa was necessary because we need additional conflict at that point. Because what else would happen? Like right. They transform. They're on good terms with the country and his sister. Okay, let's go, I guess, now. Um, And he really throws a wrench in everything. But (laughs) he's such an unpleasant character. And in the last, like quarter of the book we spend so much time with him (laughs) um and And i don't like him at all as a child he's somehow even worse because he is just stealing everything he's demanding respect which he doesn't deserve he's he's, like such a blowhard he's being the worst child possible because now he's a he has like delusions of grandeur because he has been an adult and so he still thinks he's entitled to all of the respect that comes with being an adult but he's like an insufferable child right he also expects everyone to take care of him yeah, exactly. Like both things. And he and he's like scared to stay alone in his apartment because it's dark and empty. Um, I just I could have done with a little less time with him in the, you know, kind of 
tying up of threads at the end of the book. This is the other pacing thing that I thought was funny. The plot to get him to go live with the aunt also just takes up a lot of time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot of attention devoted to that. And they do, they try to redeem the aunt a little bit. And I just was not here for it because I was like, I don't care. Like you can't be that selfish when you're talking about a a child that exists in the world that you're like, it's your responsibility to take care of that person. Yeah. You know, but also, you know, Aunt Esther and Barbarossa are are both ridiculous caricatures. So they belong together. No, totally. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's so creepy. (laughs) Another Harry Potter analog. It reminds me of like how Ron Weasley's rat was like this terrifying human man. (laughs) Just, living in a symbiotic relationship know, with him. Is, there's this great <laughs> moment when Ron is like, I slept with you. Yes. <laughs> like, that's kind of what it reminds me of because, yeah, yeah he's in a child body, but he still has the mind of the a human The first thing man. he does when they get to Ida's is he gets drunk. Yeah. He's constantly <laughs> trying to get wine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is really funny. Like, I get why Cornelia Funke chose to... Uh, have so much time spent on him at the end of the book because like the visual it's very funny. of this foul little yeah. child just yeah. stealing and cursing yeah, and yeah. cursing <laughs> and demanding <laughs> that everyone give him everything he wants. Like it's really funny. Yeah. Um and uh I do I love the ending of the book that he that we learn that he is now yeah. calling himself the Thief Lord. And yeah. I like to think that you know, maybe he'll get gain a little bit of perspective and he's definitely going to make his way back to Venice because yeah. the shop is being kept for him. I don't know why they help him at all. Like, yeah. he's so awful. But yeah. The main characters are too good, yeah. you know? They're like, okay, we'll keep your yeah, shop. I got to take care of this. Hopefully they make enough money off of it that it's like worth it for other reasons. Yeah, I hope so. And I'm, I'm sure he'll themselves with it. I'm sure he'll be making his way back to Venice and then there'll be fun conflicts between him and Scipio and Victor. If Victor is still detectiving at that point. Yeah. Definitely. That was the other um like fun fantasy feel that the book had, I thought, um, that wasn't actually magical but just victor out being a detective yeah, and yeah, wearing his very disguises it's very fun um, and whimsical the fact that no one can recognize one another when one of them has a disguise on is pretty funny it's really cute it's pretty funny yeah um yeah no you're totally right there's just a great whimsy to the entire book so yeah. even though there wasn't explicit magic until mm-hmm. further in it was still very much appreciated. It was kind of the light, fun version of the sort of magic being presented in The Witches of Worm. I was thinking mm. about that while we were reading it, which yeah. also is very subtle in yeah. terms of the fantasy elements yeah. um, and are even less confirmed than in The Thief Lord. Um, yeah, that, but, it reminded me of The Witches of Worm. But The Witches of Worm serves to instill like this sense of dread and terror in you with every right. page, whereas yeah, this book makes book. you feel like light and floaty, and you're like, yeah. yay, I want to go to bed. <laughs> and it, it reminded me a lot Give of... Give me an ice cream. <laughs> the, um, like, you know, those old English child uh, books, like we've done several, like The Enchanted Castle and what, under, Oversea, Oversea Understone. Under yeah, stuff like that. It reminded me of that. Um, so that's why it was interesting when I realized that it's a lot more modern than those books. Yeah, for sure. And there's definitely some um, Diana and Jonesian elements as well in terms of like a subtle mixing of reality with mm-hmm. magic. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And we have, we have episodes on all of those authors and books. Out. Um, I do also, I have very little experience with Italy. I've never never been been there. I don't really know that much about it. Um, But this book did make Venice seem so wonderful to the point that at the end I was almost like, was this like underwritten (laughs) by the Venice Tourism Tourism Board? (laughs) And uh, the end of my ebook also has like a little learn more about Venice section at the oh, end. Oh, goodness. And there's a quiz called Would You Enjoy a Trip to Venice? You know what? I bet that's because this book is used a lot for in School. schools. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm sure. And as then there's an like there's like a little thing. history of Venice blurb and stuff. And it is yeah. a fascinating place. And um, it did teach me about Venice. That's right. Mm. This book also reminded me of um, the wonderful series of Nancy Drew computer games produced by yes. 
her interactive. Because that's my most, uh, my strongest experience with Venice <laughs> so far was that that one game. What's it called? Um, that's what I'm checking. Is that Danger in Disguise? No, that one's in Paris. I think um, it's the one with the lady who wears a mask and she's, it's right? It's Phantom of Venice. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And you Phantom have to like chase them through the canal sewers. Let's not give any spoilies for anyone who might like to play. I don't remember who the villain was. <laughs> I never remember. Um... Yeah, it but it also had the feel of a one of those games um, because yeah. you are like learning new little clues and then it's like now you have to go here now you have to go here and then you, you fall down here. and it's like, like <laughs> going back and forth along the canals. It's a good um, point. It was very fun and I did also like being in Venice in a city where, as people kept mentioning, there aren't cars, <laughs> so it yeah. made everything feel a bit more old worldy in yes. the way that this type of magic benefited yes, from. Too. Definitely, definitely. Pretend food. Pretend food. Really fun pretend food yeah. in this book, I would say. And like a s- nice steady flow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's something that I really appreciate. So there are moments when you worry that it's going to become a hungry book when the kids aren't going to have enough to eat, but they always manage to get by. They do, And yeah. they have Scipio as their benefactor, so like he's never going to allow them to not be able to eat because right. he can always just take things from right. his house. Because he's rich. Because um, he's rich. It, it is so... Um, it's so funny when you realize that like that piece that we all kind of get tricked into as readers too, that there could be like a 12 year old master thief skimpering totally. around yeah, the totally. I was um, ready to buy it. That felt real because of everything else in the book, Yeah, but it wasn't. No. So that's like a really good little subversion of yes. our expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just been taking things from rooms in his house. Yeah. Not yeah. even as good as a borrower. You I know? think that was the one point where I was like, wait, is there any, actual fantasy totally. in this book <laughs> I did have a moment when I was like oh my god is everything just going to be cut out from under us and they're going to like find the carousel realize it doesn't work and then like accept their lives as they are Bummer. it could have gone in a totally different direction yeah and I also just watched The Lodge which is a uh, not a good movie don't watch it and it, um, it did something similar to that I don't even feel bad about spoiling it even though it's not even really a spoiler because it's a bad movie don't watch it yikes <laughs> Um, but again, as I mentioned, uh, when I said I wanted to go to Venice now and eat ice cream, there is just like such a good sprinkling of Italian treats throughout the book. Um, there's so many bakeries with little cakes in the windows that smell of marzipan, um, and lots of cafes with ice cream sundaes being eaten in them. And it took me back to childhood that the children, whenever an adult is trying to get them to do something, it's like, let's go have an ice cream. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> ice cream as reward for there, good behavior. Yes. There's a Dairy Queen near our house growing up, and um, yes. <laughs> and yes. <laughs> and once we were old enough, we could walk to the Dairy Queen, which was a bit of a trek, but we made it work. Yeah, not a very nice walk, but... Um, Yeah, so I had a really good time. I've been already, like, I think I've talked about this to you. I've just been craving an ice cream sundae so bad for weeks. I saw my mom and we got ice cream. Um, Dairy Queen. And and a sundae is something that's a little hard to procure right now, so I might have to just take things into my own hands and buy, like, some whipped cream and nuts. (laughs) Do it. it You can't buy whipped cream because I end up just eating the whole can. I guess I could whip some so that I have fun. Uh, reduced amount a fresh whip Um, but this book did not help with my Sunday (laughs) cravings one bit Um, I also love that uh, Scipio loves spicy sausages and fancy wrapped little chocolates they're called mandorlati (laughs) me trying to pronounce an Italian mandorlati mandorlati (laughs) um and food being used as a point of celebration yes. when everyone has successfully completed one of their many capers. Um, also, there are always olives being thrown at people. <laughs> I know where the olives just, are it's Italy, from. Grace. They just have a ton of olives <laughs> lying in piles everywhere. Multiple scenes where it happens where it's like Barbarossa threw an olive at him. <laughs> I, I, maybe uh, it is. If it's just a snack food, yeah, like people they have happen it to out. have it out yeah. and be snacking on it, so yeah. they're tossing them at each other to oh, emphasize a point. Too. But Me not too. A, not at the same time as ice cream, though. Oh, I really, really need some snacks. Gross. 
Um, there is an amazing uh, food import store called Big John's PFI mm. that's here in Seattle. They just, Big John's plug. Uh, they just opened their new location. Um, if you live in Seattle and you listen to the podcast, it is in the CD now. Go check it out. Great. They're open. You just got to you know wear your mask, limited capacity. Um, they have a cheese counter that stretches the length of the store. I just love that place so much. Anyway, we just got some good olives from them, so might have to snack on those later. Cool. Um, uh, other foods I loved. Okay, all the pasta. I love pasta yeah. so much. And quarantine time has been pasta time mm-hmm. for me. Let me tell you. Yeah. Oh, I want pickles. I want pickled everything. <laughs> I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to get a whole jar of those little tiny uh, crunchy Gherkins. baby dills. Yeah, those are really good. Yeah. Cornichons. And then we eat them all. And Nick's going to be like, are you okay? <laughs> Is anyone okay right <laughs> yeah, now? Exactly. I think we can all eat a jar of pickles. Exactly. Um, I love Ida's party that she throws. It's just for them. Um, uh, I'm going to read a quick passage. Lucia, the housekeeper, had cooked, fried, and baked all afternoon. She had whipped cream, scooped tiny cakes from the <laughs> baking tin, made ravioli, and stirred sauces. Different smells kept luring Victor into the kitchen, but every time he tried to sneak a taste, he got his fingers wrapped with a wooden spoon. <laughs> I want to eat that feast. And there's also a great line when it says that Lucia went to make an incredible amount of spaghetti. Yes. <laughs> yes, Lucia, where are you? Come oh. come into my life. <laughs> it just sounds so good. Yeah. So in conclusion, let's all have pasta, olives, and ice cream sundaes for dinner. And we'll be able to sate some of these cravings. The other night I was... Uh, sulking because we ordered from a burger place for dinner and they forgot my giant rice krispies treat so i was bummed what place what burger place sells giant rice krispies two doors down they have giant rice I've krispies never been there. um and me neither only you guys ordered. have been having bad luck with your takeout they always forget my desserts and it makes me so sad and okay. i was thinking of the taco debacle don't talk to me about the tacos <laughs> i so nick made a chocolate cake because he was sad for me that I was sad about my Rice Krispies treat. Mm. And he made a chocolate cake with, um, he melted chocolate chips and it also has mayonnaise in it. So it's super rich and moist. And uh, I made that same cake recently, or at least a chocolate cake with melted chips and mayonnaise. Maybe he got the idea from you. Is it from New York Times? I don't know. He's the cook, not me. No, it would just be cool if we he both. He cooks, I eat. <laughs> it would just be cool if we both uh, it, it totally could hit be. on the same chocolate yeah. cake recipe in the last month. But if you, if someone doesn't give you a Rice Krispies treat, make a chocolate cake. Sage wisdom from Madeline Harnoy. Have your boyfriend make a chocolate yeah, cake. I, I was going to add <laughs> one key piece you're missing there. Badass lady meter? Yes. So, yeah, there are some good ladies in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little disappointed at all the moments that were like I got beat by a girl or like she's just a girl she can't do that um but they're, we're they're also children. dealing with little boys yeah. <laughs> just so, kids in general so. I didn't think of that as like a an endorsement of that but rather just a no. presentation of it no um and both Hornet and Ida are wonderful characters um and I respect Hornet for dealing with all these other little kids being the only, yes. only lady in right. town. Right, yeah, and she really holds her own. Yeah, and I think I don't feel that the mother role is forced on her for the group, which I appreciate because yeah. I was worried that it would be something like that. Like, oh, she was female, kind of like so she's going to be the mom. Bow a little bit and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but Prosper does feel more like the kind of caretaker in a yeah. lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think he's the oldest one other than Scipio. Uh, but Scipio can't really be relied on. Yeah, because he's like not there all the time. And fake. Yeah. And a fake. Um, yeah, so I, but I, I really like Ida too. My baddest lady is going to be Ida, okay. if that's okay. Yeah, mine is going to be Hornet. So Perfect. Um, I respect her so much for being a self-made woman yeah. and also being able to survive off of her art. That's super cool. Yeah. The first thing she asks when she comes upon the kids robbing her at night is, are you here to steal my cameras? Because, you know, that's the thing that's most important to her. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. the most valuable thing she owns. Um, She has a home dark room. It's very cool. Um, And my rating for Ida is going to be, 
a ready-made family yeah, yeah, with some little sweeties who move on in. And I was just so happy that they could all like find love with and each other. I was really glad that Hornet stayed too. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Because Hornet loves to read. She wants to learn. I think she'd love being able to go to school. Yeah. Um, so it just seems right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. My, my rating is one big cozy family eating spaghetti. <laughs> Uh, my rating is for Hornet and my rating is a curtain of stars. Oh, that's so lovely. (laughs) That was a really cool point about it. I liked that a lot. Yeah. The theater did sound, um, like a fascinating place and it is also part of the tragedy of the book is that the theater is going to be torn down and turned into a supermarket. Yeah. If it were Seattle, it'd be condos. Yep, can't get enough. We don't have, they don't build grocery stores in Seattle. No. Resources? No. <laughs> overpriced condos. Yes. That makes sense. <sighs> so I think that brings us to the end of our discussion for The Thief Lord by Cornelia Funke. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you again, Nina, for requesting this episode. We had so much fun reading this book. Um, And I know we had our special recommendation at the outset, but if you haven't read this before, I think it's a great quarantine read. We're putting our quarantine read brand on all our recent episodes. Um, But I, I do think all the books work really well. Yeah. If you would like to make a request of your own, you can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at dragonbabiespod, Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, or on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Join us. I also wanted to mention that in doing research, I found that there is actually a movie of this book that was made in 2006, and it looks pretty funny. (laughs) An American um, movie? It has... English actors. That's <laughs> English. So the film adaptation came out in 2006. It is a British German film. There's very little information about it. <laughs> I don't know. Check it out. I'm intrigued by the trailer. <laughs> Ooh. Kids peeking out from under a curtain. Oh, it's very low budget. Oh. Well, two million, but for a film like this. Um, okay, so the trailer is showing like mermaids and like a statue that moved. Wow. Like, so there's more magic, or maybe it's like a dream sequence or something. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 40%, but there's only five reviews. So I, I don't think it, maybe it didn't have theatrical release. Um, so yeah, check that out if you're bored, because I'm sure you are. <laughs> a rousing endorsement. Check that out. I don't if know. You're I, I haven't watched it. I, I just thought it looked kind of fun. Yeah. So we'll now announce our next episode for those who have faithfully listened through all this time. We are going to be continuing on with the Chronicles of Prydane. Years after covering The Black Cauldron, we're going to read book number three in the series, The Castle of Lear by Lloyd Alexander. And we've been trying to pick books that are readily available on Audible and Kindle and other digital sources um, so that you can find them in this period of time Um, and it's on it's pretty available so we look forward to coming back and talking about that with y'all thank you so much for listening hope you're all doing well yes i'm grace and i'm madeline until next time goodbye